Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hey guys, this is Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Segel. Hello, I am Greta Johnson here with Trisha Bobita and Peter Segel. The greatest Game of Thrones nerd of the land. I, I am, in fact, the true king of the nerd. King Duckling? And, uh, yes, again it says Peter says clever things. This is The pressure here is really building up. <laughs> Today we're rehashing Season 5, Episode 3 of Game of Thrones. The name of this episode is High Sparrow. We will be spoiling it. You have been warned. Spoiler alert. If you are hoping for some nerd at proper, our regular episodes will be back later this week, so tune in for that as well. Also, just a disclaimer that I think doesn't need to be said, but we'll say it anyway, that this show, Game of Thrones, is pretty R-rated sometimes in terms of language and nudity and all sorts of things. So when we talk about the show, we talk about that stuff. And occasionally we quote the show and we use some cursy curse words. So, you know, you've been warned. Okay. I feel like we can just say it's HBO rated, right? It's HBO rated. (laughs) You loved your family. Avenge them. You, who walk in here with a coin you never earned. Who are you? What do you want from us? Justice. You have many enemies in Castle Black. And you're prepared for the consequences. All men must serve. This is my poor segue from the winter is coming thing is that this is like one of the first episodes in quite some time that we actually hear someone literally say winter is coming, which I think is always I'm always very excited for that. Yes, (laughs) it is. It is sort of the the equivalent to Game of Thrones. What Dino might was to good times. The catchphrase (laughs) that lets us know what we're watching. And after episode two, where no one said winter is coming and there were no wrecks or or butts. Yes, we, we have now to, have a much more. Games oh of Lord! Thrones-y it's as almost episode. as if they were just they were holding back. It was like it was like with a tidal wave where the water recedes mm-hmm. before it comes in to destroy you. Last week's lack of uh, uh, gratuitous nudity was simply to prepare for the overwhelming tsunami of body parts that oh hit us my in this episode. God. So let's, let's, let's address this issue now. Well, I'm also starting to worry that my enjoyment of an episode is actually, like, pretty highly correlated <laughs> with mm, the number of, like, wow. I just, and you know, like, I just happened to enjoy this episode, and then it was like, well, God, compared to last time around when I thought it was lame and there weren't any, and I really liked this episode, and there were quite a few, it's like... I'm- Maybe I'm, this is a thing. I'm going to put, uh, you know, heteronormativity and, and, and fluidity of, of sexuality on the female side aside. But <laughs> great, great. I, I oh, would say <laughs> that this was a very good episode for people who like female nudity, hmm. a very poor episode for mm. people who like male nudity. I think almost almost a repulsive one. Well, and that's uh, something that people have said about Game of Thrones in general. My mother, actually, I was talking to her just the other day. Oh, and she was God. Like, she said, you know what you need to talk to about Game of Thrones with Peter Segel yes. is the fact that there are not enough penises on this show. Your mother said that. She did. She did. And you were comfortable having this kind of conversation with yeah, your mother? Yeah. It's intense. That's This is the special relationship they have that I often find unsettling. It is. Yeah. I <laughs> find it very unsettling. <laughs> I would like my mother to think of me as unsullied. I yes. don't want... <laughs> yes. On I mean, a spinoff a podcast, <laughs> Greta's mother talks dicks with Peter Sagal. Yes. 
Yes. In, which, in, which, in which your mother, I'm going to assume she's Jewish. All mothers are Jewish. So I think there should be more penises. And Peter just goes, oh. Yeah. Oh, much. God. I think you should call That's it. That's it. There's 30 minutes of that. I think you should call it Greta's Mother Talks D with Peter Seigel. <laughs> I think it's a little hipper. You'll get it like an edgier I am audience. doing everything I can not to flee from this room. But <laughs> let's talk nudity because, oh, boy, I was so impressed with the sequence in the brothel with the high septon. And I was I, I was talking about this with Greta, much to my shame, when she posted my conversation on, on Facebook. <laughs> because the, here's the thing about the scene. So in terms of the episode, and we're skipping ahead a little bit, but we, we need are, to cover we this are. We'll, we'll get to Bravos we'll, for We'll get to Bravos in a second. But, but here's the thing. So th- they need this thing to happen. They need the high septon to do something so shameful that the sparrows can come in and punish him in a particular way. And it's important how they punished him. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are they going to do? And so, okay, he's he, – and so I'm imagining a writer's room early 2014, whenever this happened. Okay, he's got to do something. How about if he's, like, having some prostitutes and he's doing, like, a sex game with – oh, I know, with, like, the seven facets of God. That'd yeah, be The great. most blasphemous yes. thing you could possibly do. So some writer, maybe the showrunners, uh, Benioff or the other guy, throw that off to a guy, a producer, and it's like, all right, got to do this. And so somebody spent all this time hiring these models – who were into full frontal nudity and figuring out how prostitutes would dress up in a sexy way <laughs> as each of the seven, seven aspects of, of God, right? So yeah. you've got, you know, the maiden, the, the mother, the father, the warrior. And all of that effort for a 45-second scene, how do I know it's 45 seconds? Because I got the screener out and I watched <laughs> it again and I timed it. And I love these people for it because like, okay, if you're a prostitute who's dressing as a sexy crone, how do you do that? Somebody figured it out. Mm -hmm. And by the way, in case you weren't watching as carefully as I did, he picks the uh, maiden, always the maiden, and the stranger. Now, the stranger is, of course, the aspect of God, which is always hidden. So how do you have a naked woman? I didn't remember how they did this. How do you have a naked woman who is the stranger with a hidden aspect of God? Basically, what they did was they took her hair and they made it into an enormous ponytail and they put it in front of her face. It's not a great look. No. It got the job done. It really did. And I just want to say, before we move on to perhaps the less important aspects of this very fine episode, <laughs> just a little golf clap for the production designers, casting people, everybody who contributed to that 45 seconds of glory. I mean, that was that was like nerdy brothel glory, too, right? Yeah. I mean, the fact that you can actually analyze it as much as you have just now, yes. I think, is testament to the overall nerdery of this it show. It was pretty great. Someone said they thought we were body, so we're just seeing if we can get a new adjective. There you are. Yeah. Body. 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 All right. It's so a let, good adjective. You, you Take us through this episode. And I want to say before we start, great episode. Such a good episode. Such a good episode. So I do want to at first just really quickly propose that in the future we do talk about the double standard of male nudity versus female nudity I th- I think we should in Game of Thrones and in general. And I would love to invite our listeners to contribute to that. Maybe call us, leave us some voicemails or send us an email or find us on Tumblr or Twitter or any of those Don't things. Don't attach anything to the emails. Oh, that's yes. a good. Yeah, that's Please. actually really. I was Especially, like, why not? And then if like, you oh. send us an email that has this nudity in the subject line or even even the body of it, and yeah, there's an attachment, true. we will not open it. The body that's of it. Too, aw, Thanks. unintentional. Thanks. Just my accent. The number to call, 312-948-4687. Again, that number, 312-948-4687. It was a beautiful episode. Yes. I think it was my favorite so far. There are three, but still, it was very good. I will continue to I give know. levels gonna... of superlative yes. to each episode. This was a great one. I thought... I thought it was great because there was enough fundamental information that yes. we needed, but everybody moved forward on the chessboard. Yes. Well, I, more to extend the chessboard metaphor, if if the last 
two episodes had been necessary openings of moving the pawns forward, freeing up the pieces. Now, like, we're in the mid-game and people are doing stuff. Yeah. And it's great. And we have the introduction of real peril for the first time in a number of different ways. And that's awesome. So all of a sudden it's interesting. And I will say this, and I will not say it for the last time, it also was the episode in which we clearly see how and where they're departing from the books. And this is all to the good, both because there were problems with the books, which I've talked about, but also because for those of us who have read all the books, we don't know what's going to happen. I am especially excited. So much fun for me. Yeah. I So I did not finish the fifth book. Right. I read all of them through. And I started the fifth and it just it didn't happen. So I am finally at the point now where, yeah, I don't, don't know, know what's, what's going to happen. happen. I am so excited because I've, I, it's all set up so perfectly, and I can't wait for some of these pieces to fall. And yeah. we TV-watching-only people are happy to have you two down here with the rest of us. I again. know. It's, it's really strange. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I'm a mortal now. I feel like it's at the end of Wings of Desire, and I've given up my angel wings, and I'm here with you. Well, and thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Welcome back to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Trisha Bobita along with Greta Johnson. And wait, wait, don't tell me, it's Peter Sagal. <laughs> so we see some Arya uh, in the House of Black and White in Bravos to start this episode. And she's clearly confused, which is fun to have characters like Arya who are almost always the audience in a way. Like she doesn't have the context for really where she is, where she is what's going on. It makes it pretty simple to have scenes where she's sort of being a voyeur and trying to figure out what's going on and what's behind this door and that door and all these sorts of things. So that's interesting. But I think for me, the most interesting scene and the one I was sort of waiting for, having only known what happens a little in the books because I read Wikipedia past where the show goes, is that moment where she's throwing away her clothes and her silver and her very special coin, but then she can't throw away needle. Right. Her sword, she can't do it. And I thought that was some really lovely acting work Mm -hmm. by Maisie Williams. And I think both Stark sisters in this episode are doing great yep. work yep. and both in really different ways right one is we're seeing more vulnerable than maybe we ever have later we're going to see Sansa yeah. really sort of become maniacal I think yes. <laughs> yeah well, it's almost as if they're changing in this really I mean to see Arya in a dress that was the first time we've seen her in a dress yes right? I know mm-hmm. or, or a shift or whatever it is yeah that yeah, is wild and it's almost as if and I know this is impossible because the episode was written more than a year ago and shot lord knows when but it's almost as if they heard my complaints from last week because now <laughs> that's exactly Arya, what happened uh, Arya, yeah exactly somehow they knew that I'd be displeased with the second episode. So, <laughs> No, Arya, remember I complained that Arya was welcomed into the House of Black and White without having to do anything. Yeah. Yep. Well, now she has to do stuff. A whole bunch of stuff. And she doesn't like it, and it's hard, but she's got to do it. And I loved that scene where she's with the other serving girl, and the woman's, the girl says, who are you? And she knows enough, Arya being smart, to say no one. Right. And she gets slapped. And then she immediately spits out an expletive, which was awesome. Yes. Like, which was like, and you <laughs> know at that when moment. when that expletive rolls off the tongue she, like that. She don't got it yet. <laughs> she is a long way to go. And the journey and the, and the disposing of her possessions. 
I mean, I think anybody out there who has studied actual monastic orders will see that this is actually a reflection of that struggle. You have to give up a lot. You have to sacrifice. You have to bleed in a way for it. And apparently the showrunners or more to the point, the House of Black and White are going to do that to Arya, which, again, is dramatically fulfilling. What's going on with the guy in the water and the drinking and the maybe being dead and what's... What? Oh, he's dead. Okay. But he's coming back to life, right? I don't think Is so. That not? I mean, I don't know because we've already said that it's departing from the book, so I don't know what they have in mind. But as I remember, uh, the House of Black and White does a lot of things. But remember when uh, he says, uh, our friend Jagan Hagar says, we worship the many-faced God and he only has one name and you know what it is. And I believe in the mythos of the book that God is death, that they right. are a death cult. And you come there when you want to die. And they provide that to you if you want it. So it's, a, it's sort of a strange version of the place that uh, Edward G. Robinson goes in Soylent Green. <laughs> there is a crossover. <laughs> I think this that's is what's we going need on. You here is I know, because I know this, this really stuff. valuable insight. Context. Yeah. Wasted youth, so finally. Good. I mean, I said this on Twitter. I think I'm born to do this work. Yes. Nothing else. <laughs> but yeah, I thought I thought that was great. And I thought that putting Arya through the paces is difficult for us who love Arya, but dramatically necessary and engaging. And you, you wonder about what she wants and how bad she wants it, because that's the question. What do you have to do to become one of these faceless men, these assassins? Uh, we know why she wants to do it, to extract revenge. The question is, once she's gone through the process, will she still want and need that revenge? Yeah, that's a really good point. So let's transition to King's Landing. Was this the most Tom, and this was the most Tom in action yeah. you've ever seen, right? To put I mean, it like, mildly. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I'm just going to like, you, you, you hear this from me rarely because I'm a nitpicker, just five minutes of praise. I thought everything in, Red, in King's Landing, I, wanted, I was confused, the Red Keep in King's Landing, yeah. Red's Landing. Fair. Everything was perfect. I thought the, uh, they are handling and have handled the issue of Tommen being basically an adolescent, having a sexual relationship so wonderfully. Yeah. And I oh loved God. what his first line was after they finished, which was, did I hurt you? <laughs> that was awesome. And the way that Marjorie, that actress, is so good. Ooh. So good. Yeah. The way she handled him. Wait, oh, didn't, he say, didn't he say, did I hurt you? And then that, that went fast. by too fast. Yes. That was about to yeah, you bet it did. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, this is all I ever want to do all oh, the yes. time. Oh my God, I, I, so rem- I remember lines. feeling that way myself. It, oh. Actually, that period didn't end until quite recently, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that scene is perfect. And you watch her genuinely thinking, oh, he is kind of sweet. Yeah. But also completely owning him. Oh, God. Yeah. The yeah. little notes about your mom just loves you so yeah. She just wants much. to protect her, ba- her baby. She'll let you out of her yeah. sight. A very good actress would do that scene and let the audience, us, know that she was manipulating him. A great actress, like we have playing Marjorie, doesn't indicate that at all. She played that moment as if she was utterly sincere. And it was great. And so... The natural thing that followed where Tommen thinks, like, it's my idea to get rid yeah. of my mother in the next scene. Just was perfect. And then, then, the scenes between Ooh, Cersei and Marjorie. Yes. Again. Oh, so good. Brilliant. Well, I mean, you know, like, I, I, I gave the writers uh, grief last week for their episode with the, 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 I thought, unnecessary scene with Tyrion and Varys. They are so on their game with this stuff that, that, that everything is so subtle. So, I mean, even like Marjorie's welcoming line when Cersei shows up says, oh, you know, would you like some wine? It's a little early, early in the, in the day, day for us, <laughs> so but for a drunk old hag like you, perfect. Mother, welcome. Don't you look lovely? Marriage agrees with you. 
Can we bring you anything to eat or drink? I wish we had some wine for you. It's a bit early in the day for us. No, no, I, I can't stay. I just wanted to let you know if there's ever anything I can do for you. You are very sweet. Tommen seems quite taken with his new queen. I absolutely adore him. You raised a gallant young man. I'm forever grateful. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear you're happy. Ecstatic. I really am. Exhausted, to be honest, but what could I expect? He is half lion, half stag. <laughs> I'll leave you to it. Oh, forgive me. I haven't been at court for long. I get so confused. What's the proper way to address you now? Queen Mother or Dowager Queen? There's no need for such formalities. In any event, judging from the King's enthusiasm, the Queen Mother will be a Queen Grandmother soon. Wouldn't that be a lovely day? Can you imagine the celebrations? They'll ring the bells all day and night. Remember, anything you need. Everything is so subtle and so delightful and their actors are just absolutely playing it perfectly. Oof. Oh, it's well, and the whole, I mean, the the mother-in-law, like, you know, that that relationship is so often fraught in stories like this. But right. when she says that line about like, oh, and you'll be a grandmother yes. soon. Which mm-hmm. I think, and I think this will play out in upcoming episodes, I hope it will, may have been Marjorie going a step too far. Because that was the closest she came to delivering a threat or a, or, uh-huh. or a bit of a taunt. Uh-huh. Like, as soon as I have a child, you are completely, oh, yeah. you are completely irrelevant. irrelevant. And that is happening because your son can't keep off him, can't keep <laughs> off me. Yep. Because I, unlike some people in this room, am young and beautiful. Yep. And that was awesome. And I think that, I hope, if they follow a certain line of plot in the books, that that line comes back to haunt that character. That she just went a little bit too far. And I think Cersei is going to do some things specifically in reaction to that threat. And everything that Cersei does in that scene where everything in her power is, or everything in her being wants to just strangle her. Yes. So she just gets physically closer and closer and just kind of keeps repeating the phrase, anything you need at yeah. all. Yeah. Although I thought, again, that actress, and I'm sorry, uh, that's not, is it? Lena Headley. Was good enough. I mean, she knows we know yeah. who she is. We've seen her do stuff. So she knows enough that she doesn't need to indicate in that scene her cruelty, evilness, hatred. She's, we know. We've seen it. So she can just play it totally straight. And it was great. And then to watch when she when she walks away and just hears all those tittering yes. young ladies. Oh, it's great. Ooh. And that loneliness that Marjorie has supposedly friends. These are people who serve her, but she's having camaraderie. She's having a relationship now with this son who was Cersei's only point of connection and family. And she has friends. And what does Cersei have? She's alone. And then she has two armed guards. Right. It was a beautiful framing in terms of the way that was shot, that exit of Cersei has no one. And not only does she have no one, she's in danger constantly. I thought that was beautifully done in that scene. We better say something critical. Otherwise, people won't know it's us. (laughs) I have something coming up. Just oh, for you good. Know, oh, I'll good. Wait. I'll wait. So let's play out the rest of what happens in King's Landing during this episode. We have the racks and butts. Racks? Oh, Lord. We have discussed a little bit. Yes. We have Jonathan Price making his appearance as the High Sparrow. So and I'm good. a huge Jonathan so Price fan. So cool. And that's a great casting choice. Um, I thought I was going to find that storyline to be really boring, but I, as a theology nerd, am really excited to see how that plays out. How so? Well... I thought it was just going to be like another like mostly irrelevant 
religious sect showing up and then it's like another Dorn essentially or just something that it's like, well, this actually doesn't matter at all. But the fact that he really does like actually have the good of the people in mind, at least ostensibly at this point. And, you know, he's got a lot of those sort of symbolic Jesus-like aspects where, you know, he's not wearing shoes and he's really concerned about feeding everyone and he doesn't actually want to be called the highest sparrow. He would be just as okay with Lord Duckling or King Turtle. (laughs) I just find all of those. And then for Cersei to try to ally with her, I just find fascinating. Yes. And one of the things, one of the things somebody wrote in and said, you guys should talk about religion in Game of Thrones. And you have to give George R. R. Martin props for creating religions for his world, Mm -hmm. which a lot of other fantasy authors don't bother doing because it adds a layer of realism. In the real world, we have religion. So in in Westeros, we do as well. Although if you compare his version of medieval civilization to the real medieval civilization, religion isn't nearly as important as it should be to match the real world. The, The Catholic Church the High Septon wouldn't be second to Cersei right. in this scenario. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they were such an important player, so incredibly involved in politics in every way. It's so complicated that there were, you know, the clergy and the nobility were constantly warring with each other. Here in the fifth season of the TV show, and to a certain extent in the fourth book, he's finally starting to address that as we see the church and the sect show some of the power that actual religious Catholic sects and churches had in medieval England. And it's going to be cool. And it's interesting that Cersei, because I think so far Cersei seems like a smarter, more canny person than she does in the fourth book, that she sees this as a possible alliance for her to get a power base to oppose, shall we say, her own uncle and other people who are going to be opposing her in episodes to come. Ooh, I think also part of it is that my initial thought was like, oh, she's going to kill that guy. You know, like <laughs> yeah. he's not to her advantage. He's yeah. just she's going to get rid of him. But the fact that she's shifting it to become beneficial for her is just like like I'm excited to see how that yeah. all plays out. And and one last thing when they and I mentioned this earlier at the end of the brothel scene where they take the former, I guess. Well, is he still a high septon? Mm. And they and they march him down naked. Um, that was not from the books, but there is a very important reason why they added that. And I won't talk about it now, but they are getting ready to do something that I think will be controversial. And they, <laughs> no, I, I, you know what I mean, right? You don't, do no, you know actually, what I, mean? I don't know what you, you know mean. What you mean? Well, no. there, there's something coming up in future episodes and they are basically um, girding their loins, if mm. you will, for some of the controversy that's to come by having that as a foreshadowing episode, by making this poor old man walk down. And you notice how they whip his hands whenever he tries to cover up his modesty. Oof, oof. Oof. So creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so creepy. And you actually avoided a book spoiler just then. I did. Which is nice. I, I think, think some people will appreciate I, it. I'm trying to, I have listened to you and uh, I am trying when possible to avoid a book spoiler. And when he says you, he means the people of the internet. Yes. People of the, not you guys, you guys, I don't care about <laughs> at all. No, anonymous people on the internet, I care deeply. <laughs> <laughs> One more question about King's Landing. What is under the sheet with the Grand Maester and the rats, and what's happening, guys? So that's the mountain, right? Well, we don't know. What are we supposed to think if we're supposed to think anything? Well, I love that character, um, Kyburn, not a maester. Right. Uh, He is a marginal but creepy character in the books, (laughs) and I like that, um, and I applaud again the showrunners for keeping him there. Um, He's Mad Max, essentially, right? Wasn't that his name from uh, Princess Bride? Miracle Max? Miracle, Miracle Max. Max. No, Miracle Mad Max, Max. it would be really funny if in The Princess Bride they went to see 
Do you want to get the princess out of the castle? You talk to me. Um, I would also just really like Billy Crystal to be somewhere in Game of Thrones. I know so that. Let's this make would that all be happen. funny. No, he's he's basically um, uh, more like Joseph Mengele than Miracle Max, if you want to know. <laughs> he's this character who has doing really weird and creepy things somewhere in the bowels of the Red Keep. And they've been very subtle about it. And I just loved that shot because if you go back and you watch the shot, so a Cersei leaves. I think it's Cersei if it comes to visit him, yep. right? Yep, send and a raven to Baelish. Send a raven to Baelish because she's, you know, she's totally thrown aside Pycelle. Who cares about Pycelle? But, Pycelle, but now she's using him as, as her effectively meister. And there's that wonderful shot. He's sitting there scribbling and the shot is framed so that you see the thing in the background. What's going on? <laughs> and then somebody kicks and, 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 his, and his response is so kind. What does he say? He says, oh, be at peace, or something like that, as opposed to, shut up, you! (laughs) So something very creepy is going on, and it may be connected to the mountain who last we saw impaled on the floor. Yeah, for some reason I thought it was the mountain. That is not that is not an, uh, a bad guess. We we, okay. we don't uh, we don't know, and I say this speaking for all of us who have read the books exactly who was under that uh, sheet. Very interesting. Still to come on Nerdat Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal, we head north to the Wall and Winterfell. Stay with us. Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Trisha Bobita here with Greta Johnson and Peter Sagal. All right, heading north. Yes, with the raven that yeah. Cersei sent to Oh, there we Baelish. go. We should have a, if we were doing a TV thing, yeah. This is the raven flying north as our segue. We're not Peter very good at flapping his arms. <laughs> I'm terrible at birds. Has either of you ever seen a chicken? That's a chicken. All right. We got one arrested development. Yes, <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Check that off the list. Appreciate that. So I have to say, until yesterday's episode, I have been saying Roose Bolton when I meant Ramsey Bolton. Yes, it's an easy one to confuse. Just to clarify, Roose Bolton is the father. Ramsey is the crazy, torturing, oh, bastard, now legitimate son. Very scary guy. And Roose killed Rob Stark. Roose killed Rob Stark with the words, give, uh, Jamie Lannister sends his regards, stab. That was Roose. By the way... Uh, Michael McElhone, I think, I, I don't know how to say his last name, but I looked it up. McElhone. McElhone, is that it? I have no idea. I it's made so that close. Up. Uh, remember I said that Tywin Lannister in our, in our preview episode was like born, called from the earth to play this character. Yeah. That's how I feel about this mm-hmm. actor playing Roose Bolton. Mm-hmm. He is so good. And, and just his line, stop eating, was just, was so great. Anyway, sorry. But yes, you've been confusing Roos and Ramsey. Roos the father, Ramsey the son. Ramsey the son. Well, that's really all. The only other main point that I wanted to mention is the fact that filet and flay are not actually etymologically related. I did not know that. Isn't that it? I always kind of assumed that they were because they're both like slicing flesh. Right. But I I looked it up in case you wanted to know. Thank you. Filet is Old French Mm -hmm. from the word thread. Right. And flay is Old Germanic. And it's like slicing stuff I'm glad to know. I mean, that's one of those things where like I just still find it fascinating that you can have two words that sound so similar but have like completely distinct origins. So thanks, guys, for entertaining me on that. Welcome to Greta Does Homophones. (laughs) Little thing. I love the fact that in the credits, when Winterfell rises up, it is both no longer on fire and the banner of the flayed man of House Bolton is now on Winterfell. 
Good job, credits guys. Um, Keep it up. Keep when it up. I said wow. peril, Nerd. when I was, t- I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it comes from the old English <laughs> banner for. When I said that I was enjoying the fact that now the characters are being put in peril, one of the things I was thinking about is this marriage, this impending marriage of Sansa to Ramsay Bolton, the son, because we know something she doesn't know, and maybe even Littlefinger doesn't know, but he knows everything. He's a lunatic. Totally. He is lunatic. perhaps in a in a show in which we have been seeing evil character upon evil character, the most evil guy. It's like, you know, we had Joffrey who was terrible. And we did away with him. Yeah, well, but now Joffrey we're was more his... just like, st- like he was dumb, so he wasn't as terrifying. Yeah, he was weak but cruel. This yeah. guy is ruthless, strong, and insane yep. and yep. enjoys inflicting pain on people for the fun of it. And now our Sansa, I think of her as ours, is yeah. going off to marry him. And I am scared for Sansa, which is a great position to be in when you're trying to enjoy a TV show. I, I am think it's... so excited for Winterfell, though. Yeah, it's fun. And by the way, again, total departure from the books. So all of us who read the books and have been sitting there going, well, I know what's going to happen don't know what's going to happen and let's not forget that reek who's still there and some part of him is still yeah. there is freaking out that sansa is back at winterfell yes. because and, they grew up together and, reek and, as and, theon Greyjoy, and only because I'm, I'm a fan of actors in general and these actors specifically let's give alfie allen some props for getting that all across without a line of dialogue he's yeah. just he's just sneaking around and peering and he you get what he's it's feeling very it's, reeky it's very reekish of him <laughs> I do want to stop before we get to Winterfell and say that the scene at Moat Kaelin, which was really interesting. Like, why do we have Moat Kaelin? I actually figured it out. Because they couldn't have the scene looking at Winterfell because Sansa would have figured out they were on the way to Winterfell long before they got there. If we'd have seen looking down on Winterfell, she says, what do you mean? That's Winterfell? Oh, where I grew up? Yeah. No, there had to be an intermediate step. So that's why we have Moat Kaelin, which meant the credits guys had to animate Moat Kaelin for the credits (laughs) because that's where we were going. Amazing how these small things grow. Anyway, that was a really important scene because... In that scene, Peter Baelish says something to Sansa, which we've all said. We've often shouted at our TV screens, stop being a bystander, fight back. He says, I won't force you to do anything. Don't you know by now how much I care for you? Say the word and we'll turn the horses around, but listen to me. Listen. You've been running all your life. Terrible things happen to your family and you weep. You sit alone in a darkened room mourning their fates. You've been a bystander to tragedy from the day they executed your father. Stop being a bystander. Do you hear me? Stop running. There's no justice in the world. Not unless we make it. You loved your family. Avenge them. And what's interesting is, is that he doesn't make his whole case. He doesn't say, take vengeance for your family, and this is how you're going to do it. I presume that he finished the case to her or Sansa knows because there's no other reason why she should suddenly go along and go marry this monster or the son of a monster as far as she knows. She doesn't know what, yet what Ramsay's like. She's now learned what his playbook is, right? The moon well, door happened. Yeah, she knows. She, knows, she that, knows that you marry someone to murder them. Yes. That's something that she has an exact <laughs> parallel in the recent past to see that that's what you do. Right. And so I think, yeah, there's a lot unsaid there. And he realizes that this 
is not a little girl anymore. This is a woman who's ready to take on that kind of political backstabbing role in <laughs> that she was born to do yeah. because she's of noble birth. She Presumably from Sansa's point of view, she's been looking around all this time and seeing all these things happen and she's seeing who's still standing. You know, my noble father who was – I adored and lived by principle. He got his head chopped off three seasons ago. But this guy, Littlefinger, Baelish, who's absolutely ruthless, he's still here. So maybe I should start listening to him. Yeah, that – in my notes of this scene, I also wrote down that quote, you've been a bystander to tragedy from the day they executed your father. Yes. Stop being a bystander. Stop running. And it was so weird because it was, I mean, in some ways it's a pep talk, right? I mean, it's what yeah. she needs to hear in terms of being empowered to go do this thing. But I ended up putting empowerment in quotes <laughs> because right. it's such, a, it's still totally manipulative and weird. What, what, what's interesting, and I haven't really thought about this before, is in many ways, the entire epic, Song of Ice and Fire, whatever we want to call it about, is about the Stark children. Mm-hmm. It's the story of the Stark children. We meet them when they're children, quite literally quite young. They're very unformed. And it's about the paths they take. It's about them taking vengeance, perhaps, on the sins put on their fathers and uh, or in mothers, too. And we have thought it's been so clearer in the journeys of Rob and Arya and to a great extent Jon Snow than it has been in Sansa. But Sansa is a Stark kid Mm -hmm. and maybe her time is finally coming. I trust these authors and writers to to believe that there's going to be a payoff for all this, that she is going to come. Oh, there will. Oh, there will. And that when that serving woman says, welcome back, Lady Stark. The North remembers. Welcome home, Lady Stark. So good. I think this will be fun. And again, this is why it was such a great episode. People put in peril, people taking action. You know, all the good things about Game of Thrones, very few of the bad things. Lots of things, lots of people heading towards maybe sooner rather than later Winterfell. Yes. Among them, Bran and Podrick. Yes, Bran and Podrick. are still, you know, making talking. camp, talking. And this is my criticism. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that was the least exciting I, scene. It was the least exciting scene because what they did was they gave Brienne a backstory. Right. So I was. Did she? Did that prom thing not happen in the books? Nope. The carry prom thing. Uh, yeah. the, the 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 prom. You know the the carry. Yes, exactly. And we were talking, of course, about her her telling Podrick. Podrick says, "Well, why did you want to follow Renly?" And she tells this story about how she was humiliated, and then Renly saved her. Couple things. First of all, never would have happened. She was the daughter of the Lord of Tarth. No little lordling would ever have come to a ball in her honor and made fun of her because she's represents money and power. Because this isn't. Mean Girls, this is Westeros. This is Westeros. And, and, and this is not a high school. And, you know, you may, you know, the, the, you may have seen this rather large woman standing next to um, uh, Roose Bolton. She's known as Fat Walda. She doesn't have any lines, I think. But she married – he married this, shall we say, unattractive woman because it's an alliance with the phrase. That's was... how you do. So they, nobody would have been mocking her at the ball. They would have been sincerely trying to get her hand in marriage because she represents an alliance with a king or a lord. Second thing is it's – it actually – I found it a little diminishing to Brienne that she had this, well, let me tell you about my past moment that justifies my actions as opposed to what she has been till now, which is just someone with this very noble, noble but maybe unrealistic notion of what service was. I liked her more when she was just someone who believed I need to find somebody to serve. That guy looks good because that's how people are in the real world. You know, if you talk to people who are out there working for our political candidates and somebody says, you know, you say, why are you supporting Ted Cruz? They don't say, well, because when I went to my high school prom, (laughs) I was scorned and Ted Cruz came and danced with me and saved me. 
They say, because I love that guy. I don't know. I want to help. I want to serve yeah, somebody. There's something about And I him. like that guy. Yeah. And that's what people do, as, as stupid as it is. As, <laughs> I'm not saying anything about Ted Cruz. It's stupid. That's just a human thing. And I, I, I think that as much as we love this actress and we love these characters and Padraig is so awesome, stopping and hearing their backstory is a writerly thing that I didn't think we need. Yeah, that was, I think, the least necessary scene of the episode for sure. It's like, okay, they're on their way. They're still on their way. They're, they oh boy, are they on their on way. on their way. Wow. En Gee. route. Yes. TBA <laughs> soon. Route. Yeah. 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 I did like the fact that Podrick helps her take off her armor. I hate to think she sleeps in that, too. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Cleans her boots. Well, and she did say this was the episode where she said she would start training him as a knight, too, yeah. right? Yeah, that did happen. And that's good. I mean, that's that's like, that's like progress, I guess. That's progress. That's nice. I guess it's nice for Podrick. Right? Maybe he'll get to stab somebody else sometime soon. Yay. <laughs> All right. Heading farther north? Yes. To the wall? North. I'm getting colder even as we speak of it. I wish I could fight beside you. Believe me, I do. But I swore a sacred vow at the godswood. I pledged my life to the Night's Watch. You're as stubborn as your father. And as honorable. I can imagine no higher praise. I didn't mean it as praise. Honor got your father killed. But if your mind's made up, I won't try and dissuade you. May I ask your grace how long you plan to stay at Castle Black? Are you bored of us already? You saved us from Mansfreda's army. We will never forget that. But it's a question of survival. The Night's Watch can't continue to feed your men and the wildling prisoners indefinitely. Winter is coming. I know it. We march on Winterfell within the fortnight before the snows trap us here. And Ollie is in the room. I like that Ollie is becoming more and more important. This I like the little boy who shot a greet, who was a refugee from the village that the Wildings over overran last John season. Love and the woman Agreed. for whom Jon Snow broke, broke his, his vows. vows. And, and Ollie knows that Jon Snow loved her and was going to let her live. Does he know live. that? I think that moment when he shoots her, because Ollie's We're watching We're talking that, back along last season. Right. Though. So last season, the whole battle's happening. You think that Ollie would assume that all wildlings must die at this moment. He sees Jon saving one, saving a Greet, not killing her, and kills her and gets to see Jon Snow be emotional about that. So- Jon Snow has put next to him the only person who knows about how deep his flaw goes in terms of breaking his vow. That's my theory, is that Jon is politically savvy enough to know that Ollie has to be by his side or he's going to be someone else's whispering, right? you know, uh, secret really? keeper. Really? You're more cynical than I. I just thought he was like, he, he, had, he had done the thing of taking his grief and turning it into something positive. Okay, I will take this young man under my wing. As well, he says, I think he's doing he'll be a that. commander someday. He's teaching him to fight in the premiere, but I think he's realized that he needs this boy who killed his love. Yes. Because he knows that he loved a wildling. Yeah. Really knows. Probably. The See, other guys talk about view. it. I, wow. It's possible. Interesting. So yes. Ollie's important. Yeah. I, I don't care about Ollie. <laughs> I do not there care about There you are. She's, she's, I noticed she was actually playing Angry Birds on her iPad the entire yeah. time you yeah. and I were talking about it. But go <laughs> it's on. Tetris. Okay, excuse me. I can't see from where you're sitting, <laughs> so but go on. So Stannis, one more time, says, you want to be a Stark? No? Really? For sure? You just want to do this? All right. And then basically leaves and Davos does the little thing that I think probably every chief of staff does for every politician. Listen, he's a complicated guy. Yeah. There that was, was, that was a very that, was a that very interaction <laughs> that I liked. Though. That was a very West Wing moment. Yeah, I you, which one of you misses the West Wing so much? I, I mean, it's my life force. OK, there you are. I, I love it very much. But I like when Trisha's like, yeah, you know, like that one thing in the West Wing. And I'm like, no, I no. season three, episode two. When that happens. I remember that. Davos is kind of the. 
But the thing about Leo McGarry. Dobbins. So is this how normal people feel when they hear me talking about Game of Thrones? Yeah, man. Just this sense of <laughs> yeah, absolute man. boredom and mild dude. contempt. Like a TV show, really? That's what you're Seriously, obsessed Peter? with? Seriously? Seriously? How unrealistic is that political game? Yes. Okay, but his the way he used the vow yeah. to try to talk John into serving the North, I did think was really interesting. Yes. That idea of this is all about preserving your people. Right. And Serve you, your people. And you have sworn that you would do that. And the best way that you could do that is to rule Winterfell. I thought was the best argument that had been made so far. Right. I know John is not going to do it. Yes. But I did think that that was clever. Yes. And and smart writing. And uh, we all love Davos Seaworth. He's the best. True. I think it's kind of boring. <laughs> no, he's the best. Get out of this studio. Stannis is the worst. I have been best. defending Stannis to friends. I think St- I like, as I said before, I think Stannis. You know, he's got this as 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 Davos Seaworth, the best, says about him. He's trying to do what's right. Yeah, and and he doesn't. Funny. You know why Stannis? I like him because he never seems to be having any fun. <laughs> and <laughs> That's seriously, the worst. Peter. Well, no, but he's he's so clearly he's not doing this because he likes. I, can't or, I mean, stand he's it. not like ordering people around and killing people because he needs to. He thinks he has to do it, and so I have a certain degree of sympathy huh. for him because so that's what my duty. role is. Because you think your life is is just weighed down by duty. Yeah, you think we you're public really radio hosts yeah. often have to do things <laughs> yeah. we do not like, but you know the realm commands it. <laughs> uh, I will say this while we're talking about the wall: is th- I have this thing that bugs me, and it is not something that bugs me here. Just the one thing. Just the one thing. Have you noticed uh-huh. that about me? I'm yeah, very, yeah. I, I'm very happy. You, you got yeah, you really choose. Thing. Yeah. In various works of fiction, it is often the case that the writer or creator will often try to create, say, a character who is a leader or a problem solver, basically by having other people say, wow, that guy's so smart. Yeah. Yeah. That's a leader. I'll follow him anywhere. But they don't justify it. And in this Mm -hmm. episode, they had this problem. John has been elected commander of the Night's Watch. Is he really the commander? And they have that sequence with him, starting with him giving assignments, ending with the execution of our old friend and now deceased friend, Janos Slint. That's funny. In which you actually see him take command. And after he executes Janos Slint, and there's that, I thought, maybe a little cliched moment where he looks up at Stannis and Stannis gives him the nod. Yeah, the nod. But still, you're like, all right. This is what being in charge is like, If I was there at Castle Black, I would do what that guy says Oh, that's good. I thought you were going to say that they still haven't shown John Snow. No, I think that— But I I thought not only the execution, but also the way he broed out with all those guys. Yeah, exactly. The whole sequence. The way he made—you know, the way he took the latrine thing, misdirected, his enemies thought— Joked around. he he gave it to the guy that everybody thought, yeah, he should get it. We all think that's funny. That's gingers. Gingers. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, looking at Alistair—oh, by the way, that led to one of my favorite moments— where he gives uh, Alistair Thorne, uh, you know, makes him first, first ranger, ranger, right, which is a cool thing to do. And then later on, Stannis says, you should send him away. And John says, I heard once when he was watching Godfather 2 on DVR <laughs> that you should keep your enemies close. Stannis responds. Whoever said that didn't have many enemies. And yeah. I'm like, to hell with you, Mario Puzo. That was great. <laughs> I thought that was a funny little bit of business. But yeah, I love the fact that Prior to this episode, maybe if you were that idiot writer at Vox, you didn't think Jon Snow could do it. And then after this episode, you're <laughs> like, yeah, he's got this. You know, he's a baller. He's going to play. He can do this. He can play this position. And basically, we know also 
that Stannis is going to eat dinner a couple more times there and then take off. They're like, we can't feed you forever. As if that's the, you know, the most uh, impending reason for them to make some I feel like, choice. I mean, that was real in the books. They were really worried about feeding all those people. Yeah, and they had to feed all those people. And in, in this, in the books, and I hope it will play out in a different but still uh, compelling way, how to manage the wildling prisoners, how to how John takes command and starts making changes, and the tensions that create, I hope will provide a rich vein of entertainment a as we watch the vein seven remaining episodes. There's ten Yes. Okay. Yeah, seven remaining. Well, and I do, we do still need to talk about this final scene of Volantis. Right. Tyrion in the brothel. Right. That line. In the box, in the box, in the box. First he does a little crazy person in the box. That was pretty sweet. And And then then, we get out of the box. And then we get out of the box. He goes to the brothel. The one woman says, they all want to fuck a queen. And Tyrion says, they've never met a queen. (laughs) I thought was just perfect. Yes, he has met a queen. And I think that he would... I do want to say, and, and you pointed this out, there's a great bald joke. I want to talk <laughs> where he says, I need to go talk to somebody. So there with were hair. a couple of harassed things in this episode or between baldest. the ginger and then this. Yeah, and I feel that this is my complaint about Game of Thrones that it is that the TV show is unnecessarily baldest. Mm. And what I mean by that is that somebody sent us this very nifty thing. It's a, it's a photoshopped um, series of pictures where you can see the difference between the characters as depicted in the TV show and as they were in the books, where they basically photoshop pictures of the actors to show what their characters look like in the books, per Grimm's description. And it turns out like half of them are supposed to be bald. Serial <laughs> Pharrell, bald. Tywin Lannister, bald. Who are the only bald people in the show? Right, the we, we got the creeps. We got Varys, who's a eunuch. Thanks, guys. Do you know male <laughs> uh, pattern baldness associated with too much testosterone? Thank you very much. The unsullied. And the thanks, unsullied. Thanks, Peter. Thank you for that. <laughs> and also Geno Slint. Great. Thank you. The yeah. sniveling coward. He gets to be bald. <laughs> Thank you very much. To your point, Weiss though, and Benioff. About you know the way this has been touched up for HBO. A lot more boils and festering things on all those naked women in the brothels yes. if it was more accurate I as well. I know, I know. It's yeah, amazing I mean, how those, you know, it's television. like, really they had Zumba that, that in a medieval <laughs> setting? It's amazing. <laughs> and laser hair removal? That's crazy. Um, yeah, so anyway, so uh, so this is nice that uh, we've run into our old friend Jerome Mormont. Also yes. bald. In the books. <laughs> <laughs> Who's doing a creepy thing where he's basically just watching the Daenerys impersonator and being uncomfortable with them disrespecting her, but also he's there because he likes to be yeah. near a sexualized version of this person he's kind of he's obsessed ca- with. Oh, By the way, like you're really reading really far into that, Trisha. I mean, no, I'm with Trisha at this point. Working. Oh, absolutely. He's okay. not. I mean, if he was repulsed and he could have walked out, he didn't walk out. I guess. And, and that's and I think that was like the entire intent of the scene that he is sitting there staring with okay. horror and attraction and dismay and sadness at Thank this. you, Peter. Yeah, you're welcome, Trisha. <laughs> All right, fine. Yes. I'll Next episode is going to I'll be concede. just Trisha and Peter recap Nerd of Cones. Ooh, Ooh no. Nerd I, of Cones? Is Nerd that of what Cones? You just Did I just say that? That's Nerd of Cones. Uh, we are cones not editing that. <laughs> okay. Um what was I going to say about? I was going to say something. I don't remember. But I yes, feel like she you was were correct. Say something really nice and conclusory and forward-looking, forward-looking, and then looking. we could just call it a day. Oh, I, that's probably why. I think that's it, what you were about. It's to nice do. again. Peril. We know where Tyrion was going. Now Jorah has kidnapped him. Yes. He's in trouble. Sansa's in trouble. Arya, if not in trouble, has stuff she needs to do that are going to be difficult. Um, John's Mar- really in charge John's for the first time, and that's going to be hard. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's like, what's going to happen next? And as everybody in this business knows, that's the question you want to leave 
we viewers with. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pleased. I give you guys an A for this episode. Would have been an A plus if we didn't have Brienne's sobby backstory. That was totally <laughs> unnecessary. There you go. Peril racks and butts. Yeah. Awesome. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Cone of nerd of cones. Nerd of cones. Nerd of cones. Sorry. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. And we do really want you to join the conversation. Ask us a question. Suggest a topic for us to discuss in an upcoming episode. Whatever it is, that number. Give us a call. 312-948-4687. We are at Nerd at Podcast on Twitter. He's at Peter Sagel. I am. <laughs> good one. Good one. Thank you. And hey, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. While you're there, we'd also be ever so grateful if you could rate and review us. And you can find us on Stitcher and SoundCloud. That's also where you can catch Game of Thrones recaps as well as Nerd at Proper. The show is produced by us with help from our WBEZ cohort, especially Joe Dassault, Colleen Pellissier, and Brad Helm. Our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. Can I say that Colleen Pellissier has the most Game of Thrones name? Isn't it perfect? It really is good. Yeah, she wins. Yeah. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.